Welcome to Making Waves, a show about sound art produced for WGXC by New Adventures in Sound Art. On today's show, we have a live stream performance by Debasha Sinha. It was recorded on October 25th at Charles Street Video in Toronto, who collaborated with NASA on this show. Uh, the performance explores artificial intelligence and machine learning applied to the text and sound world of the Vita scriptures. The performance also includes video animation, and to view that, you can go to YouTube and uh, look for NASATube, N-A-I-S-A. Later on the show, we'll uh, listen to an excerpt from the audience discussion that followed the performance. Debeshi Sinha is a Bengali-Canadian composer and media artist based in Toronto. Here is his performance of Adiva, version 000 underscore 01. Breathe by the people's strength, strong in the words that comes through the stones and all. The Soma with heroes call them both of the mighty sage, Tao who lives the worlds of the mothers. Five the strength of the song, the Marats who worship the conquering Corsa, still we seek the bolt of heaven. The visible the sky the spoil of the strong in the sea. Fifteen these arms who worshipped with strong in the waters nine they've been loved hath looked to the worshipper strong who in the streams of the wood for heirs the wealth who with the band the marats with the pleasant comes as vince with the strength and common men the offerings with the rudra established the oblation
XXX
Agni one. Indra one. XXX, Agni 1. 
You're listening to Making Waves on WGXC Wavefarm. That was Adiva by Dimashis Sinha from a performance at Charles Street Video in Toronto that uh, New Adventures in Sound Art uh, produced for the Soundplay Festival. After the uh, performance, the audience had an opportunity to join Dimashis Sinha in a discussion about his particular application of AI and machine learning to produce the content of the performance that you just heard. So, Deb, I think one thing that uh, struck me is, uh, as far as I know, the uh, your use of the artificial intelligence and the and uh, the machine learning was also applied to the texts and the language that we heard, and because it had that element of not quite making sense, at least to my ears, uh, it started to live in this musical realm, even though it was dryly spoken words, and. Uh, I was wondering about uh, your intentions of using it that way, and and um, and the, this notion of language also being musical. Oh, that's that's an interesting ex- uh, experience you've you've outlined there. I mean, of course, language is is pitched, and and uh, the but I, I actually wasn't thinking about it being musical. But of course, when you put it in context of something like this. It, I can see how you would uh, hear it that way. And now actually thinking back, I kind of agree. There's um, the, the pitch uh, information in the, in the spoken text is really very arbitrary. It's not anything that I've programmed, but it's something I'm interested in doing. There is a tradition in Sanskrit chanting of uh, using a three or four tone scale in, in the chanting as well. So it is actually musical, but it also, the, the choice of tone and the, the, the choice of pitch also conveys information apart from the text. And that's something I want to look into a little bit more uh, for, for sure. Um, but it, it was kind of like, um, like much of the work that I've been doing with machine learning uh, on sound and field recordings and, and uh, other recordings that I've done of percussion and such. In some ways, uh, it's kind of a, an arbitrary outcome of the processes, which is something I'm very interested in, in terms of um, making making story and and in this case, making story in the moment. So yeah. 
So what do you mean by arbitrary? Well, it wasn't anything I, the, the, the pitch of the spoken text was not anything that I uh, designed. It's just what happened with using the text-to-speech converter that I used. And um, in a lot of ways, I mean, machine learning works, um, they literally call them hidden layers. So you have an input, and then it goes through a neural network, which are hidden layers because of the way they work. It's, it's actually, you can kind of understand the structure on a broad sense, but in terms of the actual work that they do with the numbers, it's very difficult to parse because it's very fast and it's very complicated how each neuron actually feeds the other. So they literally call them hidden layers and then you get an output. And the thing that interests me in using these tools is in some ways um, subjecting uh, sound and text and uh, other uh, images that you saw to these, to these hidden layers. Like, you know, pushing them through these hidden layers and seeing what comes out the other side. And in some ways, because it's so difficult to design exactly the outcome you want, uh, I'm trying to uh, embrace that after many years of, of being very exacting and precise about what it is I'm trying to do. Um, I'm, I'm welcoming the chance to, uh, to kind of collaborate with these processes and algorithms to discover and uncover stories that I wouldn't normally uh, find. Can I chime in here? Sorry, Darren. Yeah, uh, please sure. do, yeah. Okay, so uh, it's Don Hill. I'm in uh, the former petroleum paradise in Edmonton. Um, <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of ethics and morals, but I would certainly want to invite a larger conversation about what it not just means to reanimate text, but actual people and mm -hmm. the qualia Mm -hmm. of that sentience in a machine learning environment. I'll leave mm -hmm. it at that. Sure. Well, the ethics and the ethics of, of using machine learning and AI and, and what it's, what it's uh, being applied to and how it's being subject to, uh, you know, this process of, um, you know, kind of using a hammer to put in a screw. So that whole thing is very interesting to me. Of course, there's a, a lot of discussion right now about um, structural uh, racism in science and how AI is being applied and deployed against uh, marginalized communities and something and those kinds of things. So those are things that are very interesting to me and how that applies to my work is, you know, something that I want to explore a lot more. I mean, some of the, uh, a friend of mine, Moises uh, Hexorcismos, who does a lot of work, he, he lives in Berlin, he's Mexican, and he does a lot of work with, um, uh, uh, ancient Aztec content and kind of trying to re in a way, reanimate culture. Uh, and so this, he, he actually says it's not artificial intelligence, it's actually artificial stupidity because these models are so narrow in their view, you can't call them intelligent at all. So that, that kind of, um, the, the sexiness of using the term, you know, and for sure, like I, think about that a lot when I say machine learning and artificial intelligence and you know where that where that posits my work as a person of color and also with the content that I'm working with what that means in the larger picture of the way the community is developing and exploring is something that's for sure a, a big part of uh, what I want my research to be 
Um, I've got two questions, both big questions. And um, the first one is the, a question about storytelling and how there seems to be a kind of an overall narrative of storytelling in your work. And yeah. um, I was particularly interested in the, you talked about um, um, hidden layers. And I mean, that's a, obviously you're using sacred text or you're beginning with sacred text. And, and the people always talk about hidden layers in terms of sacred text. Sure. Um, I'm interested in why you chose those, why you chose the Rig Veda, um, and also it, how the sound the arc of the sound story, so to speak, contributes to hidden layers, I suppose. So that's mm -hmm. one question, big question. And the other big question is more of a technical one. I wonder if, do you have a sort of a theory of reverberation? And also, what are all those things that you were controlling, controlling? <laughs> okay, sure. Well, why don't I start with that? Um, and what I'm doing is I'm using these uh, controllers to actually control um, parameters of effects. So I have the raw uh, audio material over here, but then I can feed them through a bunch of uh, effects chains and uh, manipulate them in real time. And part of it is, um, you know, I grew up on stage uh, playing uh, percussion and, and live instruments in ensembles. And the, the idea of performance for me is something that's very uh, kinetic and physical. Like I'm always out of breath, not just because of the mask, but I'm always out of breath after a performance, even though, Really, I'm just twiddling knobs. I'm not really being super physical as I would if I was playing like a, a physical instrument. So these things are kind of a way for me to um, express that, I guess for want of a better word, theory of performance. So they're a way for me to interact with the sound and to be very uh, nimble and quick. Um, if you if you had a look or if you remember, there's a, a whole lot of audio content here, and very little of it is. Um, I, I didn't really plan. I planned almost nothing in this performance, and that that's on purpose. Uh, I wanted to follow the path of the sound and the reverberation in this space. I don't know if you can hear, but it it's basically a big room with drywall and cement floors, so it's very reverberant. So and and I'm actually uh, using speakers in the room. So I'm reacting to the sound in the space, which is something that's very important to me uh, when I perform. And of course, something that you know you kind of miss, certainly during the pandemic when we're all kind of doing things digitally. So I don't know if I have a theory of reverberation, but I certainly, you know, I grew up on stage. So I certainly have a kind of muscle reaction to what happens to sound in a in a physical space, and that's what's been so exciting about actually coming to here, coming here, and not being at home, and coming here and bringing my stuff and thinking about things and wrestling with the cables and all that stuff has been has contributed to the moment of performance, and it's that's very important to me. Um, in terms of sorry, somebody was going to say something. I was going to add uh, as a small addition to what Susan was asking. I was going to say this till later, and, and please don't think poorly of me for asking this question. Of course. At any point in your performance, did you smell vanilla? Vanilla? Or any kind of sort of sense of something other than wasn't in the room, like a kind of a perfume sense? Huh. I didn't really, but, you know, I'm not the most reliable witness. It's, <laughs> it, in, in 20 years of playing on stage, 
when I get off stage, I literally forget everything that happened. I have no clue what happened. Well, let me, let, me just add, let me just add to that in terms of is anybody listening <laughs> in the space of the performance had a synesthetic effect. In other I words, wonder. a crossing of the senses. I had a distinctive sense of the smell of vanilla and I had to go out and check the room <laughs> to make sure that I wasn't getting it some somewhere. So at about, uh, I would say about halfway in between where you really had that good groove, groove going. Thank you for that. Cause I was already dancing in the room. Right on. Uh, good. And I just about ripped the headset wire out because I didn't have wireless on. So, oh, well, I, it could have cost me money. But anyway, I just felt distinctively, and I'll admit this, you know, for those of you who know my work, uh, that there was some kind of synesthetic response going on there. And I wondered if you had done that intentionally or you sort of moved or worked toward that. And that comes back to reverberation. There is a connection between, you know, that kind of stuff sure. and overtones and reverberation. So, Susan, thank you for that. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I'll i stop talking. Or please go ahead. Yeah, that, well, that's good. I feel like uh, maybe I did something right then if that, if that was uh, one of your uh, responses. Um, in terms of the hidden layers, I mean, the thing that I like about the idea of hidden layers is, of course, you know, I mean, these, uh, I, I'm trying to build an understanding of my own heritage that, uh, a, an understanding that is full of gaps, I guess, and gaps that I've had to fill in. And that's, that's a big part of why I work with the content that I work with is because um, I'm trying to get a sense of who I am and who, how my culture, both of the cultures that I've grown up in, operate in my artistic life and my life in general. So, you know, like stories are a big way for culture to be transmitted. I mean, in any culture, uh, but certainly in, in Hindu culture. I mean, that was my first exposure to the deities and gods and goddesses were through stories I learned from my mom and my grandmother and, and uh, comic books and things like that. So the idea of using story to explore um, my own cultural expression makes total sense to me. But of course, stories have many layers, right? There's the surface layer and there's layers underneath and what is happening with the characters and who they are and where they are in space and time. So this analogy, you know, when uh, I went to the Mutech uh, Japan AI Music Lab uh, last year, it seems like 10 years ago, to start exploring all this stuff. And when they started talking about hidden layers, I was like, oh, what? That's interesting. And as I, as I started working with these tools and kind of realizing their shortcomings and getting more interested in uh, the collaboration, uh, I kind of started to see how this idea of hidden layers kind of resonates from the very like technical uh, workflow up until like very conceptual ideas of how sound works and how stories are built. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, of course, it's a very it's a very rich term. And I love the fact that it's it's present uh, in many in many ways and on many levels in this work. So, uh, Susan, just to add to what you're saying, and I'll and I'll shut up after this. David Bohm, B O H M, who was and is a quantum physicist of some stature. Uh, he was a, literally a student of Einstein's, among others. 
uh, he talked about hidden variables. So in different jurisdictions of science and music and art, people have been talking about the same thing, but they describe it differently. What's interesting about what you're doing is you're using math, you know, mm. think of Colab, uh, to generate these hidden variables that Bohm would understand it. Mm -hmm. Bohm is also uh, very closely associated with Krishnamurti, um, who also, again, is a syn syncretic kind of religion as we move towards something. We're not quite sure what it is, but that's where we're headed. But that's the only other addition was to look into David Bohm, if you're interested. Mm, that does sound interesting. Um, Debs, I, I'm just getting back to this hidden layers thing uh -huh. um, and the use of sacred text. Um, it, especially in the beginning, it sort of reminded me of... Um, of people passing by a temple or a place of worship and hearing snippets of huh. sacred text. And that's those snippets working on the, the spiritual life or the unconscious, however you like to, to however you like to name it. And um and to me that was very ev evocative actually, uh -huh. even though I know you use the AI, I assume you use the AI to reorder the text in different ways. Um, so it was a bit analogous to, um, to, to to some kind of spiritual process, I suppose, in terms of the listener, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice image, actually. Uh, that that works for me. The idea of like catching snippets and as you pass by. I mean, that's what uh, that's why I was so excited when I. Uh, fed the neural network the Rig Veda and then interrupted its training and saw the output. I was so excited because, first of all, I, I could never write that. And so it really felt like, oh, this is something that I'm collaborating with the mathematical process to create. And yet, when it spits out its output, that collaborate the result of that collaboration still has the sense and the flavor of um the thing that i fed it so that made me very excited and made me realize that okay we're we're working with uh tools that can extend or expand uh uh or build on or confound in some ways our own reflexes and our own um, impulses to build stories in certain ways. And that's what was interesting to me because I've been doing audio uh, work for many, many years. And I do know the things that interest me and I do know the things that I can do and what I can't do. But the idea of using tools that I'm truly genuinely collaborating with and trying to make sense of at this point in my practice is um, extremely uh, exciting. So uh, I like that. I like that. Um, I like that idea, though. This this catching of this catching of um, truths in the air, or things that are floating in the air. Like I, I I really like that very much. And in some ways, you know, to me, that's as far as we can get with our limited consciousness. Just catching uh, catching the truths that are just all around us all the time. We can't always fully comprehend them, but they're there and we sense them and we can uh, act on the knowledge that that or the experience that we 
that we have as we move through the, the world. Some of it, of course, is uh, limited to bandwidth. I appreciate what you're saying there uh, in terms of impressions. I'd like you to talk a bit more about, uh, we're at a, as, as you were saying earlier, we're at literally the early stages. In some cases, we're making it as, up as we go along. So therefore, if that's correct, then we don't know what aesthetic is yet with regards to quality or quality or whatever. Um, but the choices that you're making in terms of, oh, I like that, is indeed an aesthetic. Can we agree on that? Mm -hmm. Now, is the machine learning about you as much as you are learning about to acquire that aesthetic from when the machine spits something out? I trust that's not too vague in terms of a question. No, I mean, you know, I suppose you could argue that it is, that it is learning about me. I mean, I'm using Google Colab, right? So I'm on the Google platform. Everything is being recorded, I'm sure. Like all my little mouse clicks and whatever, uh, whatever code I change is you being and me recorded. Both. <laughs> but yeah, so of course you can argue that when we interact with machines, of course at some level they're influenced by our actions, and because they're influenced, you know, that's a record of it. It holds a record of what we've done to it in collaboration. But does it does it acquire an aesthetic though? I, I, again, excuse me for interrupting, but yeah. I'm reminded as you're talking, Arthur C. Clarke wrote a thousand years ago, Childhood's End, or somebody wrote it, and in Childhood's End there was the the aliens uh, didn't understand human beings why our fascination with music, uh, and yet they appreciated the fact. Of course, I'm doing this from memory uh, that that we did assign some value or qualia to to music and that it was worthwhile looking into mm -hmm. so if you think of the machine if you think about the machine at all as an alien or a sentience of some sorts uh, and it's studying um you know its interactions as it is coming of age that's curious and it might be an art solution to what is beguiling us no that's not the word what's troubling us now as a civilization as we get closer together like this um we don't know quite what to make of it we're, we're 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 in a platform now that i'm quite comfortable looking at you on a screen right now and talking to you you can't see my image why because i muted my video but we've evoked a space and mm -hmm. i wonder about the machines about if they're able to do the same thing did that make sense i no i think i think it does i mean i don't think we're at that point yet at all perhaps you know i'm not a futurist to you know in uh to the degree that you so are it, now. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, what I was going to say is to the degree that people who are futurists or are accepted as futurists uh, are, are thinking about this stuff. So to me at this point, you know, I don't, I don't think that, I think it's a tool. It's a tool like a hammer or a screwdriver. And, you know, this, the hammer, if you have a hammer, a favorite hammer, it becomes, you, you feel it in your hand. Your, the oils from your hand go into the handle, you know, those kinds of things. Yes, that may be true. I don't, I think it's far too early to be talking about aesthetics and uh, those kinds of things. It may be at some point that, yes, we'll be talking about it. But, um, you know, to talk about it now and, and in terms of like, this is, this might be what's happening. I don't think that that's really the case, at least from my point of view. I think there I are people. Hmm? I understand that, but you said something extremely important earlier uh -huh. that as a person of color, 
you felt as if you didn't say this, but if you were living in two worlds at the same time. Sure. Now we've added a third. That's what I'm trying to get at. Oh, and I see. Yet, yet we're imposing, as musicians, artists, we're imposing our values on that world mm -hmm. as we go along, in some cases, if I'll say it for my own work, stumbling in the dark towards somewhere, mm -hmm. looking for a crack, you know, mm -hmm. where the light comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it's important that we do. I mean, there are, you know, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Like, I'm very happy imposing the Universal Declaration of Human Rights on the machine world. I think it's important that we do that and that we expose the, not expose, maybe that's too combative, but it's important that we parse this third world that's now, I mean, it's the nth world, whatever, but this digital world, it is important that we explore it and that artists explore it and that, you know, activists and uh, um, uh, people who are suspicious of uh, the utopian kind of market speak that's out there about machine learning and AI. I think there are huge, huge issues that we have to deal with when we use these tools and as we integrate these tools more into our environment and into our lives, for sure. And I think it's important that we uh, impose our our gaze uh, on, on these on these things, and to just allow uh, the math to just bubble along without critiquing or looking at it or trying to question it, I think is, I mean, that's how you get facial recognition, right? So there's, it's important that we kick back against uh, all this and, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not a coder, I'm not a programmer, and I'm not, I'm just a guy who messes around with sound, but I feel like, I mean, the whole reason I went to Japan is because I was like, what's the deal with AI? What, what is that? Like, how does it work? What is it doing? How do I get to, how can I use it? How can I contribute to that community of work? even though I'm not a physicist or a computer coder or whatever. And what I realized was it's so important that we get people involved and, you know, build the ethical AI community and build the uh, uh, communities that are questioning, still participating, but questioning how these tools are being used and deployed and understood and built because otherwise we're going to end up in the digital realm this this new world that you spoke of we're going to end up in exactly the same place we are now in the real world and that's not going to be good for anyone that was Debesha Sinha in conversation with uh, members of the audience for his October 25th performance at Charles Street Video in Toronto. Many thanks to the technical assistance of Greg Woodbury and Elliot Feinberg. Uh, Making Waves is heard the second Saturday of every month at 11 a.m. on WGXC Wayfarm. And uh, once again, to view the video of that performance uh, and others from the Soundplay Festival, you can go to NASA Tube on YouTube. Thank <laughs> you.
And uh, most of all, thanks for listening, and uh, have a safe holiday season. <laughs>